Good morning. If you're on the patio or you're at home, would you also stand as we worship? Who am I that the highest king would welcome me? I was lost, but he brought me in. Oh, his love for me. Oh, his love. your children. We thank you that we get to worship you this morning. Church, we're going to sing a new song this morning, and in that song, we declare that we believe in the Word of God. We declare that He is true and that He is good. So will you sing this out with us? Our Father everlasting, be all creating God Almighty, through your Holy Spirit, conceiving Christ the Son, Jesus our Savior. 
Lord, you are indeed holy, and by your grace, you have imputed holiness to us. It's incredible. You have forgiven our sins, washed us, made us as white as snow, pure in your sight, because of the shed blood of Christ on our behalf. We thank you, Lord, that you are holy, and you have made a way for us to enter into your holy presence by forgiving us, redeeming us, <laughs> this, pro uh, this process of sanctify sanctification, you're sanctifying us, Lord. You're doing such wonderful and profound and, and powerful things in our lives, Lord God. I pray, God, that we would, God, find a firm foundation. God, for those of us who have been waffling questioning, wondering, doubting, Lord, I pray that we would set our feet on a firm foundation, the, the firm foundation who is Christ the Lord, and that we would stand firm, that the truth of the scripture would anchor our lives, anchor our souls, Lord, the revelation of God would uh, be sufficient for us, for our lives. We love you, we trust you, God, we believe you, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, go ahead and turn around and greet a neighbor, and we'll come right back here in just a moment. <coughs> I'll get it. I got it.
Come on back. Come on back. Good morning. We're in Hebrews chapter 7 today. You can be seated and turn to Hebrews chapter 7. I'm just going to warn you up front. I got a ton of material to go through today. <laughs> I got a, a ton of stuff. So um, for historical context, we'll be looking at, well, we look, we'll study all the way through Hebrews chapter 7, but we'll be looking at chapter 6, chapter 8, and chapter 9 as well, uh, just to kind of lay some groundwork. But before that, we'll just kind of go through some information. And uh, the title of the message today is Jesus is Absolutely Enough. <laughs> he is absolutely enough. If we walk with Jesus for any length of time, whether we're brand new in, Christ, in, the, in the Lord or have been doing this walking with the Lord for decades, we realize that Jesus is absolutely enough. But then, but then circumstances happen, and sometimes we begin to waffle in that. We begin to wonder about that. We begin to question that. And so, really, that's why Hebrews has been written to reaffirm to believers in the Lord Jesus Christ that he is absolutely enough. The temptation is to fall back into an old way of thinking, old system of believing, old way of working things out with the Lord. But the truth is he is absolutely enough for this life. He's come that we might have life and life abundantly, but then also for our eternal life. So we have a hope in Christ for this life and for the next. This life and for the next. It'd be a total bummer if we didn't have hope in this life as well, but God, by his grace, has given us abundant mercy and goodness and gifts and favor for this life, and then it just carries on into eternity. God is absolutely good. I just want to cover a few things before we get into our text today. Some of us wonder, because of maybe background experiences, choices we've made, is God sufficient? Is he absolutely enough to save me, to redeem me. And I just want to tell you, man, no matter who you are, uh, God is absolutely enough. Jesus is absolutely enough to redeem you. He's able to cleanse you of your sins, to make you a brand new person, to sanctify your life so that you look, <laughs> you look totally different in your new life than you did in your old life. He's actually made it possible for you to be born again spiritually with, with the implication meaning that you're gonna be a brand new person in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is enough to save us. Jesus has by one sacrifice made perfect forever those who are being made holy. We read that in Hebrews 10 14, Peter preached that there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. We see that in Acts chapter 4, verse 12. There is literally no one and nothing else that we could add to Christ to aid in our salvation. We are saved by grace, through faith, because he is good, not because we are good. He finished the work on the cross, and what he did is enough to save us, John 19, 30. So Jesus is enough to save us, and that should set a foundation in our lives to build upon 
that informs our lives and encourages us, encourages us to believe that he is absolutely enough for every other arena of our lives. Jesus is enough to save us. Jesus is enough to provide for us. Paul wrote in Philippians 4.19, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. <laughs> so Jesus is absolutely enough. He's absolutely enough to bless us as well. Paul said that God blessed us in, in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, Ephesians 1.3. He didn't say a few spiritual blessings. He said every spiritual blessing. Blessing, And since we can't add anything more to every, Jesus is truly enough for every spiritual need we have. So we see that God is sufficient, absolutely sufficient, absolutely enough for every area of our lives. Jesus is enough to equip us. I say this all the time that God calls and God equips people to do the work in the world that he has for us to do. At whatever level, he's calling us and he's equipping us. <clears throat> Jesus is enough to equip us. We have the promise that God's divine power has bestowed on us absolutely everything necessary for a dynamic spiritual life and godliness. Second Peter 1.3 says, by his divine power. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. You wonder how to live a godly life? Stay close to Jesus, be filled with the Holy Spirit, open up the word of God, allow it to inform you. You will live a godly life by his grace. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. So he hasn't called us into a religious system. He's called us into a relationship with him by which he pours out and bestows upon us all kinds of amazing gifts here in this life and in the life to come. Jesus is enough to strengthen us. Maybe you're feeling weary. <laughs> it's only halfway through January in the new year, but maybe you're feeling weary. God is actually able to strengthen you in whatever scenario that you're facing in your life. Jesus is enough to strengthen us. When Paul prayed three times to the Lord to remove the thorn from his flesh, the response was, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. So when we are weak, Jesus' strength is enough to carry us onward. In fact, our weakness only perfects his power, which leaves no room for adding another power source. Jesus is all we need. There is nothing and no one to add to Christ. His person and his work are perfect. He is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life, John 14, 6. He is the only one who can save. He's the only one who can provide for us, bless us, equip us, and strengthen us. Having faith in Christ involves trusting this is the challenge for us. Having faith in God involves trusting in his complete sufficiency. 
Having faith in God involves trusting in his complete sufficiency for our salvation and for our life in the here and now. He's come that we might have life and life abundant. Eliza E. Hewitt wrote, I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. There's something about that truth that should resonate with us as believers. If you're hearing this truth for the first time, uh, you need to know by God's grace, he wants to come into your life. He wants to forgive you. He wants to set you free. He wants to lavish on you the kind of love that you've never experienced before. He wants to lead you through life, lead you out of danger, lead you into eternal life with him. He wants to be your Lord, your King, your Redeemer, and your Savior. Why? Because he's absolutely enough. Jesus is absolutely enough. So before we get into Hebrews chapter 7, that was just to kind of get, a, get us prepared for that. To get some historical context, like I said, we're going to look at the last couple verses of Hebrews chapter 6. We're going to look at the first couple verses of Hebrews chapter 8. And then we're going to look at a number of verses in Hebrews chapter 9. Because all of those verses, <laughs> it's a lot... But all of those verses give us context, historical context, to understand what's happening in Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7 is a, is a challenging chapter, and some people skip it, and, but I, I just like to go through the whole text of Scripture, and so we're going to do our best to teach through Hebrews chapter 7 today. Before we do that, let's get into Hebrews chapter 6. I feel like we should pray. Here we go. Lord, we're going to pray one more time. There's a lot of information ahead of us. I pray, God, that we hang in there that we don't glaze over and check out, <laughs> but that we hear the truth that, our, that we need to hear in our spirits, Lord, in our souls, in our minds, in our lives, God, and that we would hear it and not just hear it, but believe it, maybe at a whole new level, maybe for the first time, but that we would believe, God, that you are absolutely all that we need, Jesus. And so, you are sufficient, Absolutely sufficient. So help us to believe that and hear that and see that in the passage of scriptures that we read through today. In Jesus' name, amen. Here we go, Hebrews 6. You guys ready? Historical context. Hebrews 6, 19 through 20. You can just jot these down and look at them later, but they'll be up on the screen as well. This hope <laughs> is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. What's the hope that we're talking about? All of the hope that we've been talking about, right? Our hope for eternal life in Jesus, new life in Jesus here in the here and now. So this hope is what we're talking about in Hebrews chapter 6. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It means when we are building our life on this truth, it anchors us, the truth anchors us and keeps us from getting too far away from God and too far away from God's planet. It keeps us right where we need to be. It leads us, this hope, this it leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. In the tabernacle, there was the holy place and the most holy place. This is where the priests of God did business with God, where they offered sacrifices for themselves and for the people of God who had sinned. They're offering animal sacrifices, Old Covenant, Old Testament stuff. This is what was going on. But Jesus has already gone in there for us, and he has become our eternal high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Let's jump to Hebrews chapter eight, skip, skipping chapter seven for a moment. Hebrews chapter eight, verses one and two says this. Here is the main point. So as you read through Hebrews five, six, seven, as you read through Hebrews, you get to Hebrews chapter eight, and it says here is the main point. When it says here is the main point, it's time to pay attention because 
this is the main point, right? So we want to pay attention. So if you're asking, what's the main point? Here's the main point. We have a high priest who sat down in the place of honor beside the throne of the majestic God in heaven. What does it mean that he sat down? Remember he said, it is finished, right? It is finished, right? Like the work, the sacrifice has been accomplished. It is finished. The work is done. So he sits down at the right hand of the Father. There he ministers in the heavenly tabernacle, the true place of worship that was built by the Lord and not by human hands. We'll talk about that as we go through our study through Hebrews. So the fact that Jesus is at the right hand of the throne of God and he's interceding for us indicates that he hasn't called us into a religious practice. He's called us into a relationship with him. And some of us pay lip service to that relationship, but we've never really maybe entered into it or we don't handle that very well. We kind of maybe keep God at a distance or we you know, talk to him or pray to him on Sundays or when we're in trouble and that sort of thing. But he's actually called us into uh, a close and intimate relationship with him. And he's, he's invested. <clears throat> he made the way for our salvation, for just an amazing life here on the earth. Even with all of the difficulties that we go through, he is with us, he sustains us, he strengthens us, he provides for us. So he's done all of that, come that we, again, that we might have life and life abundant. But then also, he's gone to the Father. He sits there and he's interceding for us. So he's engaged with us. He's thinking about us. He's aware of what we're going through. Uh, so when we're going through stuff, we can go to him and bring our petitions to him. And he will intercede for us strengthening us in what he has called us to do and what he's taking us through. There he ministers in the heavenly tabernacle, the true place of worship that was built by the Lord and not by human hands. Jesus is absolutely enough. Number one, because he has completed the necessary work of securing our salvation. Wow. <clears throat> he has completed the necessary work of securing our salvation. He has completed the necessary work of securing our salvation. Some of us seem to understand that on a whole new level, like a, a transformational level that changes the way that we think and relate to God and live in this life. It's Jesus plus absolutely nothing that equals salvation. So Jesus by his grace, because he is good, not because we are good, he saves us. And then he takes us on this amazing journey that's reflective of our connection with him, our intimacy with him. He takes us on this journey of sanctification. I was just talking to a couple this morning after first service, and they said they were separated, and they were distant from God, and then when they decided to get serious about their relationship with God again, because they had drifted and backslidden, God brought them back together and is reconciling their relationship, sanctifying their relationship, bringing them back together, and together now they will follow Jesus together. This is just what Jesus does. He's absolutely sufficient to save us and then to take us down this path of sanctification whereby we look totally different, totally different as we move forward than what we did when we were younger. I did a memorial service for my friend, um, I don't know, last year sometime, friend from junior high school. 
And so all, these are all buddies from junior high and high school, people that I've known forever. And a lot of them I haven't seen for decades, like since then. You know, so it's been a few, a de- few decades. So uh, when I get done, you know, bringing the message and talking about my, my friend who passed away, uh, they, some friends came up to me who hadn't seen me since high school. They're like, man, you're totally different than you used to be. I'm like, that's, that's the plan, right? <laughs> like, if I'm born again but stay, if we're born again but never grow, if we never grow up in our most holy faith, then what's the point? God has designed us to mature and grow and to be sanctified by his grace so that his work is constantly happening within us and changing us and transforming us. Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. Then we go on this amazing journey called sanctification. Jesus is sufficient. He's completely enough. So this important information for the believers in the first century uh, it needed to be reiterated and communicated to them so that they might wake up because they begin to backslide away from it, begin to not believe it, begin to fall away from this truth. And so this first century group of believers, Jewish believers, needed to hear this information again. And I, I think down through the centuries, down through the centuries, we've all needed to be hearing this information again. So it's my job to bring this information, this revelation to us again so that we have a firm foundation and an effective walk with Jesus. Many people, we, we wrestle in our seasons of life with whether the, the, the truth is that Jesus is enough. We, we, we wonder, is Jesus enough? And we need to be reminded by the scripture, and this is why I'm always telling us, open up your Bible, get to church, stay informed with the word of God. Hebrews was written to a group of people who are backsliding or struggling We've all been in that place where we've been struggling with what we really believe. So Hebrews now to us is reminding us as followers of Jesus that he is enough. This information and revelation are difficult for some to hang on to, but if we just continue to come back to it, we will be able to hang on to it. I think some of us get saved and we're distant from the Lord and so we never quite experience victory on this side of heaven and so we're dealing with guilt and condemnation. Um, and there's something about, there's something about in, in the first century, something about uh, the religious experience that the people wanted to somehow, somehow participate in their salvation and in their sanctification. And so that's why they kind of drifted back into like the animal sacrifices where literally they would sacrifice the bulls and goats and, and the blood of those animals would, were meant to cover sin until a time all of that stuff was going on, but, and so we're disconnected from that, but the reality is, is that in the 21st century, we want, it's Jesus plus my good works, it's Jesus plus my um, Bible reading, it's Jesus plus my giving, my tithing, whatever it may be, it's Jesus plus something else that brings me into a place of favor with God, and, that, and God wants to shake all that up. He wants to shake all that up. Not that he's not gonna grow you and, and make you different, but it's Jesus plus nothing else that equals your salvation. Jesus is enough. Meaning, no more beating yourself up for past mistakes. Jesus is enough. Some of us are thinking back to our life. We're like, oh, Lord, back in 1945, I did this, right? <laughs> back in 2020, I did this. Last week, Lord, I did this. <clears throat> and God is saying, my grace is sufficient. If you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So no more guilt over past mistakes, no more condemnation 
because Jesus has forgiven your sins. We love the new system, but our flesh likes the old system. So we slip back into a system of works. Paul addressed this issue to the church in Galatia. Uh, Galatians 1.6, he said, I am shocked. (laughs) I'm shocked that you're turning away so soon from God who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You're following a different way that pretends to be the good news, but it's not the good news at all. So let's look at Hebrews chapter nine because Hebrews chapter nine helps us understand the old system. This is what would happen in the old covenant under the old, in the Old Testament before Christ came. This is what was going on. When these things were in place, the old system, the old covenant, the priests, the Levite priests, regularly entered the first room, which is the holy place, as they performed their religious duties. But only the high priests ever entered the, entered the most holy place, which is behind another curtain in the tabernacle. <clears throat> and only once a year, and he always offered blood for his own sins and for the sins the people had committed in ignorance. By these regulations, the Holy Spirit revealed that the entrance to the most holy place was not freely open as long as the tabernacle and the system, that old system, is, uh, is represented, uh, uh, repre- it represented were still in use. Sorry about that. Verse nine, this is an illustration pointing to the present time. So now we're talking about what God has done, what Jesus has done. This is an illustration pointing to the present time. For the gifts and sacrifices that the priests offer are not able to cleanse the consciences of the people who bring them. For that old system deals only with food and drink and various cleansing ceremonies. Physical regulations that were in effect only until a better system could be established. What is that better system that has been established? Jesus, right? Christ is the better system. Christ is the better system. He's the perfect and final sacrifice. And so uh, these people had believed, the first century believers, Jewish believers had believed, but then begin to slip back into old ways of thinking. So that's why this letter is written. Verse 11 says, so Christ has now become the high priest, language that they would understand, over all the good things that have come. He has entered that greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven, which was not made by human hands and is not part of this created world. So now, let's get into Hebrews chapter seven. Is that clock set? Okay, good, it's set. I, gotta t- <laughs> I need to know how much time I've got left here. <laughs> <laughs> I just need to take a breath is what I need to do. So trying to get a lot in here. I told my wife, I said, I'm not sure if I'll be able to get all of Hebrews 7 in there. She said, we'll break it up. Of course, I didn't break it up. Here we are. So now as we get into Hebrews chapter 7, we're going to be learning about this mysterious person named Melchizedek. All right. The, again, the whole purpose of this letter is to inform and to encourage and to remind the Jewish believers that Jesus is absolutely enough. And so this person, uh, Melchizedek, interacted with Abraham. Uh, So we're talking 4,000 years ago, 2,000 years before Christ, Melchizedek and Abraham are having this interaction. It was a setup 
4,000 years ago to prepare the people, the Jewish people especially, and us Gentiles, it was to prepare them for a better system that would be revealed 4,000 years later. So we will learn about this mysterious person, Melchizedek. We've kind of hinted about him leading up to this point. So we're gonna learn some stuff about Melchizedek and realize Melchizedek is greater than Abraham, but Jesus is greater than Melchizedek. Here we go, Melchizedek is both a king and a priest who foreshadowed Jesus. So the Levitical priests were just priests. They weren't kings as well, they were just priests. So Melchizedek is a king, he's the king of Salem, which is ancient Jerusalem. So he's king and priest, but we know that Jesus is a prophet, priest, and king, so he trumps Melchizedek, and Melchizedek trumps Abraham, so Jesus trumps them all. Here we go. Melchizedek prepared the Jewish people for a different type of priesthood, something that would be instituted thousands of years later. God used Melchizedek, it seems, as an example of what was to come in Christ. So Melchizedek foreshadowed the work, ministry, and life of the Lord Jesus Christ. We will see that Melchizedek is greater than Abraham, but Jesus is greater than Melchizedek. Hebrews chapter seven, verse one. Shall we get into verse one? (laughs) All right, here we go. This Melchizedek was king of the city of Salem, ancient Jerusalem, and also a priest of God most high. When Abraham was returning home after winning a great battle against the kings, Melchizedek met him and blessed him. Then Abraham took a tenth of all he had captured in battle and gave it to Melchizedek. The name Melchizedek means king of justice and king of Salem means king of peace. And so when we study this guy Melchizedek, we see that there's some similarities. Uh, Some people would say that Melchizedek was a Christophany, an Old Testament uh, personification of Jesus. I don't believe that. I don't think that's the case. I think Melchizedek was used, maybe he was an angelic being who ruled over um, uh, Salem, uh, Jerusalem. I don't know who he is. We won't know this side of heaven, but we will meet him in eternity, all right, because he remains a priest forever like the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, when looking at Melchizedek, there are plenty of similarities to Jesus, our great high priest. Oh, by the way, Melchizedek is just a priest. (laughs) Jesus is the great high priest. All right, here we go. Melchizedek is just, says that he's just, and Jesus is just. 1 John 1, 9, but if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and what? Just, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. So who is the one who is just and able to forgive? Well, Jesus is, right? We see it in the scripture in Acts, or excuse me, John, 1 John 1, 7 says, but if we are living in the light, as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So if you wonder if Jesus is enough, absolutely enough to forgive you and to save you, we've got evidence from the scripture. Hebrews 7.2 says again, the name Melchizedek means king of justice and king of Salem means king of peace. So Melchizedek, as king of Salem, is also known as the king of peace. Who else do we know in the scripture is related to peace? Jesus, he's the Prince of Peace, right? Isaiah 9, 6, a popular passage for Christmas time, says this. For a child is born to us, 
A son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace, right? He's the Prince of Peace. Isaiah 9, 7, speaking of Jesus, says his government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness, and there it is again, justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. So what else do we know about Melchizedek? Well, there's no record. This is interesting, right? There's no record of his father or mother or any of his ancestors. No beginning or end to his life. He remains a priest forever, resembling the son of God. So that Greek word uh, translated resembling in Hebrews chapter, uh, verse, uh, seven, chapter 7, verse 3. It just simply means a copy or a facsimile. It means to be made like or to render similar. So we see that Melchizedek is a priest forever resembling the son of God. I don't think he's a, Christophany, a Christophany. If you think so, no problem. We won't have to talk about it after church, but... I think <laughs> he's probably just an angelic being or some, somebody that God chose to use to point us to a new system, uh, to a per, the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's no record of his family. Lineage is important if you want to serve as a priest. You needed to prove that you were part of the right family, that you were indeed a Levite. So we see, begin to see a shift. So God calls Melchizedek a priest forever, but he's not a Levite. Only Aaron's descendants, the Levites, could be priests. So we see a shift. We know that Jesus wasn't a Levite, but he's called our great high priest. Jesus was of what tribe? Judah. So that's a totally different tribe. Nowhere in all of scripture were people from Judah's tribe Priests. So we've got Melchizedek who's pointing people to a new system. Jesus is God's using Melchizedek to point us to a new system, pointing to something better that's coming. So he used Melchizedek 4,000 years ago to kind of foreshadow Jesus who came 2,000 years ago so that we can hear about him today, 2,000 years later. God's, God's got this big picture plan that is unfolding. So if you're worried about the, your life and, and what's going on in your life and you're like 30 years old right now, like God's got it handled. Maybe you're 100 years old. God is, he's got it handled, right? He's not on this time-space continuum. He's not worried. He's outside of time. He's got you handled. He's absolutely capable of handling your life. So there's no record of his family. Um, we know who Jesus' father and mother are, but Jesus, again, our great high priest, is not a Levite. He's of the tribe of Judah, According to verse 3, Melchizedek and Jesus are both priests forever. I don't know how to work that out theologically. <laughs> we'll figure it out when we get there. Um, but according to the scripture, that's the case. And uh, they're priests forever. So typically a Levite would serve for a time. They would die. And then a new Levite would come in and serve as priest. But Jesus is our great high priest forever and ever and ever. Consider then how great this Melchizedek was. Even Abraham, the great patriarch of Israel, recognized this by giving a tenth of what he had taken in battle. So again, we're, we're trying to elevate the reality 
that Melchizedek, who points us to Jesus, is actually superior to Father Abraham, the father of the Hebrew nation. He, he's been elevated as their father spiritually and relationally and, and, and through whom the promise of God has come, but there's something beyond that. And so the writer is pointing this out. Even Abraham, the great patriarch, recognized this by giving him a tenth of what he had taken in battle. Now the law of Moses required that priests who are descendants of Levi, must collect a tithe from the rest of the people of Israel who are also descendants of Abraham. But Melchizedek, who was not a descendant of Levi, collected a tenth from Abraham, and Melchizedek uh, placed a blessing upon Abraham, the one who had already received the promise, Genesis 12. And without question, the person who has the power to give a blessing is greater than the one who is blessed. Verse eight, the priests who collect tithes are men who die. So Melchizedek is greater than they are because we are told that he lives on. In addition, we might even say that these Levites, and I, I love this rationale here, this, this language here. Uh, in addition, we might even say that these Levites, the ones who collected the tithe, paid a tithe to Melchizedek when their ancestor Abraham paid a tithe to him. For although Levi wasn't born yet, the seed from which he came was in Abraham's body when Melchizedek collected the tithe from him. <laughs> Look, you have to think about that one. So if the priesthood of Levi on which the law was based could have achieved, this is important, verse 11, if the priesthood of Levi on which the law was based, the old covenant, the old system, could have achieved the perfection God intended why did God need to establish a different priesthood with a priest in the order of Melchizedek instead, in the, instead of the order of Levi and Aaron? Right? There's a transition happening. The old covenant was given, the law was given so we might recognize how desperately in need of God's grace we are. Like, obey the Ten Commandments. Nobody could do it. Nobody could keep the commandments. In fact, Scripture says if we break one part of the law, we're guilty of breaking all of the law. So in Every scenario with every person, we all need the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the message throughout the scripture in the Old and the New Testament points us to Jesus. Hebrews chapter 7 points us to Jesus. Verse 12. And if the priesthood is changed, the law must also be changed to permit it. For the priests we are talking about belong to a different tribe whose members have never served at the altar as priests. What I, what I mean is our Lord came from the tribe of Judah. And Moses never mentioned priests coming from that tribe. This change has been made very clear since a different priest who was like Melchizedek has appeared. Jesus became a priest not by meeting the physical requirements by belonging to the tribe of Levi, Levi but by the power of a life that cannot be destroyed, as the psalmist pointed out when he prophesied, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Jesus is absolutely enough. Number one, because he has completed the necessary work of securing our salvation. And number two, and we'll wrap this next part up very quickly, because he is a priest forever and he guarantees a better covenant with God. So the old covenant was based on works, obedience to the law. Jesus in the new covenant guarantees by his sacrificial work on the cross, he guarantees a better covenant with God. By grace are we saved through faith. It has nothing to do with ourselves, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. It's all a gift of, uh, of, of the Lord uh, 
by grace are we saved through faith. Jesus guarantees a better covenant with God. Yes, the old requirement about the priesthood was set aside because it was weak and useless. Did you guys hear that? And this is what the people were beginning to slip back into. They were blinded to the effectiveness of what Christ had done, and they were slipping back into an old system. For the law never made anything perfect, but now we have confidence in a better hope, through which we draw near to God. This new system was established with a solemn oath. Aaron's descendants became priests without such an oath, but there was an oath regarding Jesus, for God said to him, the Lord has taken an oath and will not break his vow. You are a priest forever. So this will never change. This will never change. Because of this oath, verse 22, Jesus is the one who guarantees this better covenant with God. You can't guarantee a better covenant with God through your good works. You can't guarantee a better relationship with God through your good works. You will enjoy maybe greater intimacy with God because of your obedience to him. You will enjoy a closer relationship with God maybe because of your obedience, but you will never guarantee a better covenant relationship with him um, based on those things. Jesus secured that for you. Verse 23, there were many priests under the old system for death prevented them from remaining in office. But because Jesus lives forever, his priesthood lasts forever. Therefore, he is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. Jesus is absolutely enough, number one, because he has completed the necessary work of securing our salvation. Number two, because he is a priest forever. And he guarantees a better covenant with God. And number three, because he is holy and blameless, unstained by sin. He is holy and blameless. Imagine. Holy and blameless. The Lord Jesus Christ. God who created the heavens and the earth took on human flesh in the, in the incarnation, became a child, raised, preached, taught, lived, died, raised from the dead, all for you and me, not because of his sin, but because of our sin. He is the kind of high priest we need because he is holy and blameless, unstained by sin. He has been set apart from sinners and has been given the highest place of honor in heaven. Unlike those other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices every day. They did this for their own sins and uh, first and then for the sins of the people. But Jesus did this once for all. Get this, once for all. Don't keep going back. Just receive the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you mess up, say, Lord, forgive me. I don't wanna walk down that path. But don't go back from things that you've already been forgiven for, you're feeling guilty and condemnation about, just, just receive the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here today and you've never received the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. He, Jesus loves you, his grace is sufficient. Receive it afresh, brand new today, and watch what God will do in your life. The law appointed high priests who were limited by human weakness, but after the law was given, God appointed his son with an oath, and his son has been made the perfect high priest forever. Jesus is absolutely enough for your life now and for your eternity. Build your spiritual foundation on that truth, and 2022 will be for you a, a time of amazing growth spiritually, 
amazing growth in the area of faith and confidence and trust in God. And amazing things, transformational things will begin to take place in your life. But we've got to place our confidence solely in Jesus. He's absolutely enough. With that, let's go ahead and stand up and we're going to sing and worship a little bit more and then we'll get out of here. Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word, for the historical context of your word. Thank you for speaking to us. I pray, God, with all of that information, <laughs> God, that we would have absorbed something that builds us up in our most holy faith, that we would have grabbed hold of something that will uh, transform us and change us and encourage us, Lord. So bless us, help us, we pray, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's worship.
thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. We love you, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.